I, I think it started with the email I got from New Wave Toys a few weeks back. They're the company that makes miniature uh, arcade machines. Like, uh, I don't know, they have like Hubert, Berserk, you know, like, and I think they do it at 1 12th scale. I'm not 100% sure, but, right, I think it's 1 12th scale that um, it's very, very detailed miniature arcade machines, but then they also have like change machines and things. And the email was, was detailing um, how they showed the outline, but they didn't show what it was. They're like, we're going to be releasing new vending machines, miniature vending machines, I'm assuming, at the 1 12th scale. So, you know, like something that's six feet tall would be, say, would, it, would it be six inches tall then? Would that be one-tenth? No, that's not how it works. <laughs> one-twelfth, right? Yeah, because there's 12 inches in, listen, you know what I'm saying. So anyway, um, I thought that they may have been making sort of my holy grail, which would be sort of like an 80s snack vending machine all in miniature, right, where each of the products, like, you know, that's like with the corkscrew design, and I was dealing with some actual vending machines yesterday, but we'll get to that at the hospital, but anyway, um, the corkscrew that's supposed to vend the various candy bars and bags of snacks and things, even though it was very prone to getting stuck, as we all know, um, but it'd be so cool having an actual miniature, like, 80s vending machine, because this is all sort of 80s-based because of the uh, arcade angle, right? Turns out what they released was actually cigarette vending machines, which they used to have, and then also some Coke vending machines, more 80s-oriented Coca-Cola vending machines, but not the snack vending machine, which I know would be super elaborate, having to create all the little snacks and putting them in there and stuff. And It brings to mind that product that I... Uh, <laughs> I looked it up again. There's a, a vending machine cufflinks on, on uh, Amazon. Little tiny image of a vending machine with all those snacks... And people were asking, is this an actual vending machine? Can you really get miniature snacks out of it? And the answer was like, no. This is literally just a pair of cufflinks with an image of a vending machine on it. People were thinking that it was actual vending machine. And I suppose people that, right, don't understand. Like, why is it that I understood that this these cufflinks, which are tiny, like, what, a half inch, three-quarters of an inch maybe, um, little metal thing that you can use to... I guess some shirts don't have buttons for the sleeves. You have to use a cuff link. I've run into that a few times going to a wedding or whatever. It's like, what the hell is this? Just use a damn button. Okay? But you have to use cuff links to link the cuff. Whatever. Um, but I didn't have any any thought or any, for a moment, thought that there's actually tiny, like each snack, like a, like a Snickers bar would be like, a quarter of a millimeter high and it would actually you could you could press a button maybe take like a you know like like what you do with uh, sometimes you need to do with a computer do people do this still with a computer you have to take a paper clip and unbend it and then there's a little tiny hole in the computer you have to stick it in to reset it or something remember that whole thing you had to reset there's different things you have to, you have to, you have to find a paper clip and you have to poke it in this hole to reset something what was that all about that was a whole thing you know <laughs> That you would you, you would press this tiny button and a little tiny on the cufflink a little tiny miniature Snickers bar would come out. Like I realize that's that's not probable or not even possible. But how did I know? Maybe they did actually engineer something like that and put it for sale on on Amazon. But the chance of so that's one of these things. The chance of it is there, but the chance is so low that you could just sort of assume that they just sort of uh, printed out 
you know, they, they had a photograph and they printed it out in miniature and just as a sticker and stuck it on there, right? You see what I'm saying? Anyway, yes, I am somewhat obsessed with miniature vending machines of various sorts, which is why I was so interested in that email, and it didn't turn out to be what I was looking, looking for exactly. Though, one of my, my dreams and hopes in life is to uh, have in my house an actual, like, uh, Tokyo vending machine. You know, you know, you see pictures of Tokyo, Japan, and on every corner there's a vending machine, a lot of them having this lit-up interior section behind glass that has, uh, you see all the drinks you can get. Sometimes they're actual bottles, and sometimes they're actually molded, like half bottles. Um, as far as I can tell, there is no way to obtain something like that here in the United States. It's just simply unobtainable. Um, I mean, I'm sure if you knew the right people and you could somehow purchase it and go through customs and get it put on a boat, I mean, it's like this whole, like, how would you even do that? It would wind up costing tens of thousands of dollars or more. I did research it a couple of years ago and uh, uh, made no progress whatsoever. The closest I could get was I, I just wanted to find an image of it and maybe print out an image and put it on the wall. That's not the same thing as having an actual Japanese vending machine in your house. See, we can get so much today. We have our society has advanced so much, but um, we still can't get a Japanese vending machine here in New Jersey. But I'm sure someone could... Like, the thing is, probably no one would really want them. I'm sure they would cost... How much would I be willing to pay for a Japanese vending machine? Uh, I, I'm sure it's cost a lot of money. It's got to cost around ten grand altogether. I don't know if I can really afford that. But it's a dream. It's a dream. I don't know. But anyway, uh, so somehow I started searching... When I, when I got that email or whatever, I started searching for... Just model vending machines, see if there's anything new out there. And somehow I ran across a one 144th scale. That is one slash or divided by 144. 144th scale dollhouse stuff, these tiny little things. So I think that I, I kind of got the sense that if you have one twelfth scale dollhouse, I'm not really sure what the standard dollhouse scale is, but right um, – Let's say it's one twelfth, which I think it might be. So, like a, a six foot tall adult would be six inches. I think that makes sense, even though that sounds like one tenth, but it's twelve inches. In a, you know what it is. Anyway, I think that's about the size of a dollhouse, right? Some dollhouse. So, anyway, a dollhouse within a dollhouse, right? That is, the dolls themselves have a dollhouse, right? Which is one of these things that brings up very all these meta topics and concepts and things. The dollhouse within the dollhouse would be one 144th scale, right? 12 times 12. I think I have the math right here. I don't know. Anyway, so there's this whole scheme or this whole field of, of miniatures that people create that are 144th scale. I know, I know what it, I, I know what, now I remember how I got here. So somehow I saw that there was a company that was making earrings of miniature snack bags like, like Doritos and stuff at like that 112th scale, right? And so I'm wondering where they got them. I don't think they were making them. They were probably getting them from somewhere because I know that, for example, Rement, that Japanese company that makes all that miniature stuff, very detailed miniature food and snacks and stuff, seemed to be something like that. So I, in my search for that, I found a tiny 100, one 144th scale a bag of Doritos, right, which was tiny. It was, it was, it was like maybe a quarter inch high, tiny, tiny, right? Uh, and that that you would put in the in the kitchen or in, I guess a one hundred one 
144th scale vending machine, which I did not see, right? These kind of uh, snack uh, things. But there were these little tiny dioramas they created at that tiny scale, which are like tiny little rooms, right? Detailed little rooms that are maybe a half inch high. Amazing stuff, This dealing in, in super miniature. And that's what sort of led me to this today's shower thoughts. I was just in the shower, and I had my shower thoughts. Uh, I've always been interested in um, working with uh, lucite or resin, right? The idea, you can find it in craft stores. It's this the, these volatile chemicals, and you mix them together, and it forms this clear substance, like this clear plastic that you can put things inside of, and then... It's liquid, and then when it sets, it's a hard, clear plastic. And you've seen these. They used to make a lot of paperweights uh, with this uh, process where it's perfectly clear, but the stuff inside is sealed inside. A lot of times you'd see, like, uh, various animals, like scorpions and beetles. I think I still have a few of those from the 70s in, uh, in, in what I knew as lucite, uh, but I think resin is another name for it. But resin has many different uh, meanings, but... um. Anyway, I was I've been thinking of a type of product that I would like to purchase but doesn't exist, which is um detailed miniature dioramas sealed inside uh, uh, uh this resin, right? Kind of just think think those like sort of 70s paperweights that had things inside them, but much more elaborate, like an elaborate model, a scene, a diorama of miniature stuff. Um, just sealed sealed in lucite, right? And if you can sort of imagine, I remember a long time ago on the show I was talking about building miniature convenience stores uh, using this method. Um, but let's just say you can imagine using that, say that scale, one, one 144th scale, tiny, tiny stuff. I mean like a, so at that point a person would be 12 times sh- uh, less than six inches, so whatever that is. <laughs> Very small, but anyway, uh, you can imagine building sort of detailed dioramas inside, and then sealing it inside this sort of brick of lucite, and you know. So at that point, it's all sort of set. Like you know, you know, it's not like something that tiny. Obviously, if it's, if it's all loose, it would be very. If you jostled it just a tiny bit, everything would fall down, right? So anyway, if it's in lucite, everything is sealed in, like bugs in amber, you know. Um, but anyway, so the idea this morning was actually quite remarkable, I, 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 if I do say so myself. And uh, I came up with a name for it, which is a lucigaze, L-U-C-I-G-A-Z-E, lucigaze. But every time I tried to write it on my phone, it came out lucifase with an F. I like that phrase as well, lucifase. But lucigaze, uh, no no hits came up on Google. So lucigaze, this is my brand name for this, this. This is my idea. I just came up with it in the shower this morning. Okay, lucigaze. So the idea is, imagine you're creating cubes, right, with all these miniature models inside. The cubes would be fairly small, I would say, maybe three inches by three inches by three inches, something in that range. And there'd be a bunch of different ones, right? But the idea is that there would be a screen of some sort. And only through uh, lenses and mirrors, right, you can imagine, so almost like a work of art in your house, like a square frame or a rectangular frame, Right, but through the use again of lenses, mirrors, and lights, nothing electronic. That you could you would have essentially what would be like a microscope lens, focusing in on one aspect of one part of the. Uh, and I know focal lengths would be an issue here, but and uh, one part of the uh, which I don't really understand 100% how that works, but <laughs> focal length. Uh, yes, 
all things related to light are very mysterious. Focal lengths, holograms, etc. Photons, you know. Like, you know, if, if photons are particles, I know they're waves and particles is in what scientists say, but like a star that's so far away, right, imagining the photons emitting from it in, a, in an expanding sphere, right, and there's X number of particles, the chance that one of those photons would hit us tens or hundreds of light years away seems to be almost nil. Yet we do see the stars, so you, then you have to say, oh, it's like a wave. Anyway, that's just to show the mysteries of light. But anyway, um, forgetting about focal lengths and stuff, how, how this would actually work, the idea is that you would actually insert a cube into this mechanism, and then you'd have dials adjust to adjust things, and uh, a, a, a super enlarged image of a portion of the miniatures inside the cube would be shown on this screen, right? And it would all be... Uh, done through, uh, again, uh, 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 no electronics involved. It would just be the angles. Probably use mirrors and lenses and, and, and then adjustments. And then you, and this sounds like something, doesn't it? It sounds like something that, that could actually exist or that should actually exist. Lucigaze, right? And there could be all different themes and all different subject matter in these cubes with these little objects. And you could sort of fine tune it. And it could, the image could actually be fairly large. It could even be like, several feet across on your wall, like the size of a large painting. But using the Lucigaze method, you, you could change it by, by, by using these dials and stuff. Could this be possible? Does this sound like something that should exist? I think so. Lucigaze. Yeah, it's later on now. I'm on the porch once again. Beautiful day out here. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned, uh, I was at the hospital yesterday. My wife got a surgery for her shoulder. You know, she broke her... We, at first, we thought it was her arm. It was sort of her upper arm and her shoulder that got broken when she had a fall. This was uh, like a week and a half ago. Finally, you know, with our medical system, we went to one place. They sent us to another place, and then they had to set up a, 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 an appointment. Or, uh, this is time for the surgery, but thankfully, we got it done yesterday. Um, so it was in Hackensack, New Jersey. And, uh, yeah, so uh, we drove up. And I, I, I kept seeing these, you know, I keep seeing these billboards for this attorney, Peter N. Davis. And every time, because he heavily advertises all over the place, like he's driving up the turnpike or whatever. And he's, oh, Peter, Peter N. Davis, attorney at law. And I'm like, does he know he shares a name with a, a cartoon character from Japan? I know very few people are probably thinking this, but yes, Peter Davis is a very obscure Sanrio character. You know Sanrio? Hello Kitty is their big, big uh, product, but there's, there's other ones as well, Karopi the Frog and Batsumaru, and you know Sanrio. Well, one of the characters is uh, Peter Davis, is from 1977, is a cartoon dog. And here's what it says, Peter Davis... Uh, and in Japanese, it's Pita Debisu. That's how they pronounce Peter Davis. It's so weird. He has a regular, like, Peter Davis, yeah, uh, is a dandy dog, Sanrio character, with unbeatable fashion sense. He's a proper playboy with the motto, cleanliness and nobility. <laughs> Peter Davis. Yeah, I, I'm pretty, I'm definitely uh, obsessed on, oh, look, Choco Cat. Yeah, that's another one. Pochaco, yeah. Little Forest Fellow. Is that the guy's name? Hmm. 
Oh, cinnamon roll. That's a cinnamon roll. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Peter Davis, the dog. So whenever I see whenever I see the uh, the ads, I'm like, this guy, he's like the same as that cartoon dog. But then when we drove up to the hospital, I we you go by his actual offices. I'm like, there's where the cartoon dog lawyer lives or, or works. Yeah. But yeah, this is uh, up in uh, Hackensack, New Jersey, and it was funny when we were driving up. We were listening to uh, CBS FM because I didn't have my flash drive uh, ready to put in the car. So I suppose that's the most tolerable music to listen to. Uh, and it was a song by uh, Billy Joel. Uh, it's that song. I don't care anymore what you say. This is my life. Do, 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 right? I'm like, wait a minute. Is this a song where he, he talks about going to Hackensack? Because we're going to Hackensack. But it wasn't. What is that song? Go to Hackensack. Ack, 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 ack. You ought to know by now. I'm a victim of circumstance. What song is that? Um, It can't be long. Not on my time. Is it? This is not driving me crazy. Let me see. It, t- it seems to be the same song, right? But it wasn't. But I thought if it was that song, it's such a weird. It would have been such a weird uh, synchronicity. I'm not really a bit. I'm not a big Billy Joel fan, but I do admit some of those early songs are, are well crafted pop songs. Yes. There's also that uh, Steely Dan song which you're much less likely to hear on the radio. Daddy don't live in that New York City no more. Driving like a fool out to Hackensack. Drinking his dinner from a paper sack. (laughs) Moving out. Okay. Anthony works in the grocery store. Yes. So moving out and my life are sort of similar songs. Where's the Hackensack part? Oh, and he talks about a medical center, too, in that song. But that's not the song that was on. Who needs a house out in Hackensack? Is that what you get for your money? Weird. But where's the hack? I thought it says Hackensack, but it's like heart attack, Cadillac, and crazy mind. My, my, my. But I thought he says Hackensack. Hack, 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 hack. Is this, this is one of those Vandela effects? I don't know. Anyway, so we were dro- we drove up to Hackensack, and uh, you know, there's this there's a surgery waiting room, which is where I spent much, a lot of time. Um, I have never gotten surgery myself, but um, my wife has gotten surgery a couple other times, and then my father, of course, earlier this year before he passed away, uh, had surgery. So we're kind of in a similar situation. You go there with them. It was me and my brother at that point. You go into the pre-op center, and then when they t- then they're then they taken to the operating room, then you have to go to the, the waiting room. And then it's just a waiting game. So I, I had uh, my whole my sling, bu- sling bag full of uh, everything I needed. It's like chargers and uh, charging cables and, you know, the, the battery charger thing in case I couldn't plug in because my phone would be my main source of... Uh, entertainment and then some of those uh, food bars vegan food bars in case I couldn't find any food so this was actually a building next to the hospital so the medical center not the hospital right 
where they do surgeries and stuff. And this, when we got there, it was like a madhouse. I mean, it's like, uh, so the idea is when you are picking someone up from the surgery center or whatever else is going on in that building, uh, you have to pull up in front and wait for them and then pick them up and then go on your way. Um, apparently there was like dozens and dozens and dozens of cars waiting and it was this huge traffic jam of people trying to get to the front of the building. This was early in the morning. It was like, oh no, when we get there, we got there around 11, so 11-ish, so 11 a.m. So it was crazy. And then we get into, into this parking garage, right? You got you to get the ticket. I guess it's $8 to park normally, but if you get surgery, which God only knows how many tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars this costs, hopefully insurance will pay most of it. Um, they, they give you a parking voucher, you know, which is good. Um, yeah, they have actual people manning the booths, I guess, to allow for these vouchers. This was a massive parking deck, a parking garage, amazing, huge. It was so packed. We went all the way up to the roof and still couldn't find anything. But then I saw this side area that no one else saw. And there was one spot in the side area. I'm like, really? Really? Could I get it? I was really thinking that the whole thing was completely full. Um, but we got to spot in the side area, and um, we're pretty close to the elevator. So we went down the lobby, then we went back up to the surgery center, and um, we went in the waiting room, but then very quickly they brought uh, my wife in. So I went in with her. So we were there in the pre-op center for hours and hours and hours. Um, finally, they, they took her in. Uh, they were, like, a bit late. Because we didn't wind up getting home until like 9.30 at night or something. It was crazy. So then I went to the waiting room, and I'm um, some people from her job, uh, while we were in the pre-op center, brought her um, some flowers and a bag of all this this uh, this presents and stuff. And uh, So I figured I'd have to, I would bring that out to the car. You know, This place is pretty mellow in terms of like there's no security or anything. You, just, you can just walk right in. Um, I mean, there's people at a, at a desk, but they don't. It's not like other places where you have to go through security, get bad. You didn't have to get a badge or anything in this place, which is pretty pretty cool. So I went down to the lobby, and then I went to the other bank of elevators, which is how we came in. And I saw there was like a, an area to get food and stuff because I, I was getting pretty hungry at that point. Um, so I went back up the elevators, but um, to the car, and then I went back. I'm like. And I was looking like, because uh, I, I was trying to, it seemed like you could probably go in to the surgery center fr- from the parking deck, which I found out later you could. But anyway, um, so I went back down to the lobby and I saw that the whole food area was closed. It closed at two. I was, it was already like four uh, at that point. Yeah, so we were there for a while. Um, so I, I was looking around. There was a little store. I'm like, oh, okay, so they have a little convenience store. I'd probably get some snacks there. I mean, you know, I do follow a vegan diet, so what what can I get? Potato chips? You know, I, it's a very limited thing. They usually have something. Then I saw it was not a convenience store. It was a pharmacy. They didn't have any food other than cough drops and stuff, which aren't really very filling if you need food. I suppose you could live on a diet of cough drops if you really had to, but it wouldn't be very nutritious. I guess you get, what if you got vitamins and cough drops? Could you live on that? For a while, at least. But anyway, so I'm like, um, what I noticed is when I first went up, this is what I, for, I forgot to tell you. When I first went up to, to bring that bag of stuff and the flowers to the car, there were some other people in the elevator 
And they get off on the third floor of the parking garage, and I saw all these really good vending machines. I'm like, oh, note to self, there's good vending machines on the third floor. So so I'm like, the food place is closed. The little restaurant thing is closed. There's no convenience store. I mean, I'm like, I could probably go over to the hospital. They probably have more stores there, but eh. Um, so I'm like, wait a minute. I saw those vending machines. So I, instead of taking the elevator, I, I took the stairwell up, and I checked each floor looking for vending machines. And I found nothing. I'm like, what the hell? So I'm like, wait a minute. So I, I took the elevator. It's like, oh, this was a whole thing, you know. So I took the elevator back down to the lobby. And uh, I'm like, wait a minute. I know I saw those vending machines. How could I have missed them? And then I realized it was the third floor, and it was it, – you couldn't see them from just looking into the elevator bay. You had to be in the elevator bay to see them. So when I went back up. People, people saw me wandering around this parking garage. They thought I was nuts. What the hell am I doing going back and forth, up and down? So finally, yes, they had two good vending machines, one for snacks and one for drinks, talking about vending machines. And uh, so I've had trouble at the last hospital I was at, uh, you know, when Denise had the accident, my wife Denise had the accident, that uh, they had some vending machines, but they didn't work at all. Uh because, you know, now there's like a credit card or cash or whatever, but the credit card part wasn't working at all. So this one actually worked, even though it seemed like I just wanted to buy potato chips. They had one bag of, of Lay's potato chips, which are accidentally vegan, I suppose. They're just potatoes and oil and salt. How could, how could there be any animal matter in there? I don't know. I'm sure they tried, but they couldn't fit how to, how to jam any a- dead animals in that product. Uh, anyway... So you, you tap the credit card, you know, with the chip, and then it, I guess it takes out $5 from your, your account. And then I guess it credits it back. Is that, is that how it works? I don't know. It's just, like, really weird. So this, the corkscrew thing started going, and then it looked like it got jammed. I'm like, oh, God, of course, every vending machine. Then, 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 then it came down. It was great. And then I also saw they had some cashews. And uh, so cashews and potato chips. And then I, the other vending machine, I got a bottle of, like, Aquafina water or something. And I'm like, yes, this is a great lunch, the best I can do. So instead of going back to the waiting room, because I didn't want to be crunching on potato chips in this very quiet waiting room, I, I was just wandering around. There was, like, this uh, like a bridge that went over to the hospital, but you couldn't really go in the bridge. So it's, like, this weird hallway distinct from the parking garage on the edge of the parking garage. So I just found a good spot to hang out by the window, and I, I, I was looking down at the traffic in the courtyard of the uh, hospital there. Still, at that point, even at 4 o'clock, it was crazy, all these people waiting to pick up their, their loved ones in front of the building. So I had my potato chips and my cashews and my water. <laughs> it's like, it was a great moment. I love that. That was really fun, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, the whole time I'm worrying about Denise. I mean, surgery is always, you know, it's not safe. It's a it's a very dangerous you know procedure, but it's necessary. Anyway, then I made my way back to the waiting room and found a good spot. They had one of those charging stations for for cell phones with the multicolored LED lights that keep cycling through the rainbow. That was kind of weird. But I sat down on a little table. They had a, a nice little circular power strip, so I plugged in my phone it was great and then i figured i'd plug in my wife's phone as well because i had her phone with me charging up and uh you know i got some coffee some hazelnut coffee they had a little coffee set up there and then it was just the waiting game and they had hgtv on 
And I remember when I was waiting for my father's surgery earlier in the year, the waiting room also had HGTV, which is a, a television network all about um, renovating houses. That's kind of the only, it's, the, it's an entire TV network about r- real estate and, and house renovations. Well, it, yeah, home and garden television, HGTV. But it's the shows that are on are like one show that was they, – they must have shown a block of like two or three episodes of uh, – called Unsellable Houses. And it's these, these twins, these sisters that are twins in Washington State. And people contact them because their house isn't selling. So they, they figure out, you know, the whole idea if, if you put in X amount of money – it can sell for that much more. So you put in fifty thousand, it'll sell for like one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars more. So you make a profit, but it doesn't always work that way. You could put a hundred thousand dollars in a house, and it'll sell for twenty thousand dollars more, and you, then you've lost eighty thousand dollars, right? So you have to be an expert in real estate. So these sh- this, these shows are uh, the tone of it is somewhat relaxing and soothing. I would never sit and watch this myself, but um, it was not bad. And then there's that other show I've seen it before. I think my my wife was watching it, where there's these people who came into a lot of money, either through lottery or inheritance, and they want to buy a new house. So this guy, this real estate agent is like really like finding, finds them three different properties and they tour the properties and then they have to decide which one they're buying. And then that's, that's, that's the big moment. Which one are they going to get? And then you get really caught up in it. Which one are they going to get? Which house are they going to get? Trying to think, I think those are those are the shows I saw of the, over the f- three or four, four or five hours I was sitting in the in the waiting room. Um, yeah, but I had my phone, so I was playing games, surfing the internet, whatever you know, whatever I usually do, whatever it's fine. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention that uh, when I was looking into the researching the hospital, uh, apparently they do have a, a not the parking garage I was in. They have multiple parking garages, but they do have the Don Imus parking garage. I, I, I would have loved to have parked in the Don Imus parking garage. He was a radio guy. Don Imus. He was on the radio, and uh, he was kind of a, like a had a. I think he had a feud with Howard Stern at one point. He sort of preceded Howard Stern. I remember my father used to listen to Imus in the morning, and uh, yeah, when Howard came on, then we switched to Howard, of course. But Howard Stern. This was back in the seventies, eighties kind of time period. Well, Howard came on New York Radio in 84. Don Imus Parking Garage. I, I wonder if he, he, he left them a hefty sum. I know he passed away, right? Yeah, Don Imus. But yeah, he was, he was a big radio personality. <coughs> the hell's his parking garage? Don Imus. He sort, of, he sort of talked like this, right? Hello, this is Imus in the morning. He had an assistant named Bernard. Oh, come on, Bernard. And that was like his Baba Booey, Bernard. What are you doing, Bernard? <laughs> anyway, so they have. They also have a little. Um, they have a video, like a TV set with his uh, computer screen on it, that shows the status of your loved one's uh, surgery. But it, the type was so small; it was across the room. I had to walk up to it to see it, and then it would sort of crash out. Like every hour, this window would pop up. Uh, this window will be closed due to inactivity. Then you s- they see the Windows desk- desktop, and then the whole thing reboots, and then it, and it goes back to the screen. What the hell's going on there? I mean, 
that is so bizarre, but it just re- like no one's looking at it, but it just times out and then reboots the whole system, and then it, it must have a startup thing where it goes back to it. Yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, the, the IT department did something wrong there, but anyway, it was up ninety percent of the time. Um, but for Denise, it was uh, my wife Denise. It was uh, she was in surgery for a long time, and um, I started getting worried. <laughs> I was like getting all stressed out. Then finally the surgeon came in, the doctor, and uh, said everything went well. And, you know, they uh, they said it was, uh, you know, it was like a uh, really bad break. So they had to do like a replacement, and uh, which we which we had talked to them about, that, that, that there was an option. You know, they would really have to take a look inside before they could choose what to do, but they did a replacement. So then I had to wait like another hour, an hour and a half. Then I went to see Denise in the recovery area. You know, she was she she was under general anesthesia, so she was coming out of it. And then after about another forty five minutes, then we, then I I went and got the car, gave the person at the parking deck my uh, voucher and uh, picked her up. At that point, it was already like like nine o'clock at night, so there was no waiting. I was the only person left picking up a loved one in front of the building. And we went home. So it's quite an experience. And it's interesting because uh, the whole time I was really thinking of the other timeline because if Denise didn't have that accident, I would have gone to Boston. Uh, yesterday was Tuesday, so I would have woken up in Boston. So the, the Boston trip was going to be I was going to go up uh, on Sunday, take the train up to Boston. I'm going to take Amtrak up to Boston. And then check into my hotel, which would have been the Yotel. Uh, and then on Sunday, I would have had time just to wander around Boston by myself. Of course, I would have been recording. And then the next day, I would have woken up at the Yotel and uh, gone to meet Rule from the Nether- Rule from the Netherlands. And we would have wandered around Boston. We may even have gone over to see my brother's friend Mark of uh, Combat Zone fame. You can check out the show Combat Zone to hear a lot from Mark. I would have loved to have visited him. I think it would have been amazing. And then I was going to stay over another night, and that would have been yesterday morning. I would have woken up in Boston and then, uh, I think, in the afternoon, take the train back to New York City and then get back here on the train or a bus or whatever. So I was thinking that all, you know, like that day was going to be an atypical day no matter what, a surgery center or a train back from Boston. And... uh, I think I, I would have called the episode Boston Escapade because I think that has a good ring to it. I, that just occurred to me this morning, Boston Escapade. Uh, yeah, Manny the mailman was originally going to come with us, but he had to drop out because he couldn't get off work. And uh, anyway, so I wonder, that episode, it, if, if Denise just did not fall, I would have gone to Boston and, and there would be an episode called Boston Escapade. Obviously, that's not how it played out in this timeline, but does that episode exist somewhere in the multiverse? <laughs> That'd be so weird listening to to the episode. Wh- what episode number would it be? Twenty fifty. What's what's today? What's this episode? It would have yeah, it would have been this episode number. Whatever this one is. Let's see. Uh, Twenty fifty something. I, I know I should know these things. It's uh, let's see. Let me see if I can find this. Come on. Yeah, 2055. Uh, the Overnight Escape 2055, in this case, is called Spacefarer's Gumption, as you've seen, but it would have been called Boston Escapade. <laughs> wow. 
so like is that could I hear that episode I mean like would that like break reality if I actually could get a hold of that episode is that something that's possible or I don't know I mean it's not like it would be like time travel or anything it's I don't think there'd be any information that's particularly damaging to time or space or anything, right? It would just be me and Rule hanging out, and it'd be very weird to hear something like that, to hear me, another version of me, but I don't know. Anyone out there have access to such things? I know, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to send me the file. Maybe there, are, maybe there is no one. I don't know. Anyway. So Boston Escapade. Maybe there will be a Boston Escapade at some point in the future, but uh, it would have been cool. But anyway. Yeah, as I mentioned, today's episode is called Spacefarer's Gumption. Yeah, so uh, this was another shower thought. Um, the word gumption just sort of came to me. Uh, gumption is like having uh, initiative and having get up and go and um, vim and vigor, right, to have gumption. Let me actually look at a definition because it's not the easiest word to understand. It's not a word you hear very often. I think my mother used to say, oh, have some gumption or something. But it's one of those words. It's weird. It's like gump, like like, like um, forest gump, like gump, gumption. Um, shrewd or spirited initiative and resourcefulness. She had the gumption to put her foot down and head Dan off from those crazy schemes. What is that, putting it in a sentence? Gumption. Initiative, aggressiveness, resourcefulness. With his gumption, he'll make a success of himself. Courage, spunk, guts. It takes gumption to quit a high-paying job, see? So sometimes it's words like that that are that I have a weird kind of... I don't know, like when I think about it, just something weird about it. So I figure using it in a show title kind of... Uh, gets me more familiar with it or something. I don't know if that makes any sense. But anyway, I was thinking of uh, another word to pair with it, and somehow I just thought of spacefarers, spacefarers, gumption. Which you do need to, you know, a spacefarer would be like a, 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 a traveler in a spaceship, you know. They do, you do need a lot of gumption. So spacefarers, gumption. I, I came up with that, and I, I love that title. And, of course, we're all spacefarers here on Spaceship Earth. Yes. Well, our, our planet is like a spaceship floating through, floating through this cosmic void. If you, ex- if you, accept, if you accept such theories, I, I, I admit it could be true, but I, I have a, a lot of skepticism towards the ball floating in space theory. That does not mean I'm going to flat Earth, as I've talked about extensively. I think the answer is something different than both those ideas. But I think that... When I say that, I think that, in my estimation, the strongest uh, percent percent chance is that the actual answer is different than the ball floating through space or a flat disc covered with a dome. I think that it's some, in my in my view, it's the act. Those two possibilities could both obviously be true, but I would say that. It's in my estimation. It's more likely, in my view, that there's some other answer. That's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, um, so I was, but anyway, in this sense, you, you know, like spaceship Earth. I think Carl Sagan said it in Cosmos in around 1980. 
We're all travelers here on Spaceship Earth. And, of course, in Epcot Center, the, the geodesic sphere is called Spaceship Earth. So we're all spacefarers in some way. It's a bit of a stretch. But anyway, uh, um, so I'm like, listen, I want to I use this title. Space for, sometimes the art comes first. Sometimes the title comes first. In this case, the title came first. And um, I'm like, I, I need a picture of, like, a spaceship or something or something space-related. So I figured um, I will go back. So what, I, what it was last year, I think it was last year, uh, for a few months I got heavily into the AI image generation uh, using MidJourney. And this is early in this, uh, in this process. And I generated uh, hundreds of images. Um, but after a few months I got very tired of, of the AI images and uh, I kind of stopped using it so I, I, I ended my subscription to the MidJourney. But I downloaded all my images to, to the, my local hard drive. Uh, so that I would not lose them. Uh, so I figured that would be a good place to look because though I am sort of uh, reluctant to use, I wouldn't really want to use new AI imagery for show art necessarily. Um, I figured it's cool now. I have this sort of set of images I created like way over a year ago uh, in the early days of AI image generation, which is pretty cool. So I found a bunch of candidates and... Um, I chose the one you see here, which is, uh, I kind of remember generating this image. It's sort of like uh, a pavilion made of crystals at night. There's like this weird bear creature and weird alien, kind of vague aliens there. But it's sort of, um, it's sort of hazy, <coughs> hazy in the distance. Um, a crystal pavilion. And it, and it just, uh, it felt like these space travelers on sort of this planet they've, they're visiting. I don't know. I love the way it looks. And I used that font, um, Parada 1, once again, like I used two episodes ago. Uh, and uh, in black on that sort of pinkish background on the top. That looks beautiful. I love the way that looked. I think I typed that. Yeah, the overnights gave very subtly in the uh, lower left corner using uh, Space Oddity, which is uh, – or Space Odyssey – which is the font from the credits of 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is a variant of Gil Sands, I think, but it's not Gil Sands. It's some weird custom font. Anyway. And I, I did 50% on the vertical height just to give it a little... Because I felt like the uh, the overnight scape type was kind of not really working with Space Fur's gumption. So anyway, that's the story behind this Today Show Art. It was like this image I generated last year. I like that image. <sighs> crystal pavilions. Is there a crystal pavilion? What is that? What is that ring of bell? Was that that cursed building in New York I used to go to? I think it was, right? Remember the crystal pavilion? Um, and it just had bad vibes in there. Yeah, 805 Third Avenue, crystal pavilion. It's, yeah, it's still there. Okay. Crystal pavilion. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I recorded a lot in there. <coughs> it's a very different kind of crystal pavilion, but um, yeah, whenever I would go there in the pa over the course of many, many years, I, 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 f I felt like this weird negative uh, energy in the place, very strange. And it seems like when they revamped the whole place, they, they added 
this like artificial indoor river and this huge like sculpture hanging from the ceiling and a piano pedestal like an area for a piano it seemed like they were sort of addressing i mean i i never heard anyone else say that it had bad energy but the renovations they did seemed to be like some sort of feng shui expert or something someone was trying to like fix up the bad vibes in the place i don't think it ever worked though and then there was like a an artificial waterfall there and yeah, for a long time they had that place called Silo there, S-I-L-O. Sometimes I, I didn't know if it was Silo or Silo. It was one of those uh, deli-type places where you could uh, get food and, you know, the buffet style. You just sort of load up a, a tray and then they weigh it and they charge you way too much money for it. Yeah, no, there was a bunch. Of, we used to go there quite a bit. It was it was right down the street from where I used to work for many years. From uh, Worked there from, like, what, 2005 to... 2015, like almost 20 years I worked at, at that uh, financial marketing agency down there on 3rd Avenue by uh, 47th. This is up more by uh, 50, 49th maybe? I don't know. Crystal Pavilion. but Yeah, those two Crystal Pavilions are separate. One is fictional and in space and generated by AI, and the other one is a commercial real estate in reality, quote-unquote reality, whatever, <laughs> whatever that is. So that's your spacefarer's junction explanation, indeed. Anyway, uh, I have here a package that came yesterday. I actually saw them delivering it on the uh, video while I was in the surgery waiting room. This is a book. I haven't opened it yet, but this is a book I've been wanting for many, many years. can't believe it's, I actually have it. I hope it's the right book. Let me open it up here. Well, this is this is one of a volume, three volumes, but I think I just need one. I don't really need all three. I used to have all three in a different version, but this is volume two. Oh, wait, I thought it was the picture. It looked like it was like shrink wrap, but this is not shrink wrap. Yeah, this is. Oh, look at this. I can't believe I have this. I don't know if there's very many of these in existence. Whoa, what is this? Thrift Books, $100 wine voucher. Why, whenever you buy anything, they give you these stupid little wine voucher? What's the other company I buy stuff and they give you a wine voucher? What the hell is a wine voucher? Let me look at this. What is this wine voucher crap? Naked wine? It must be some sort of a scam or something. You get $100 worth of wine? Oh, minimum $160. Whatever, get out of here. The other one, it's like um, oh, I think it's the CBD I buy. They they put a wine voucher in there. <laughs> anyway, what I have here is the Great Canadian Bathroom Book, Volume Two. Okay, the Great Canadian Bathroom Book. Oh my God, I can't believe I have this. I've really I've wanted this for decades. I've wanted the Great Canadian Bathroom Book. What? It's all typeset in, in, in Palatino, my, one of my most hated fonts ever. <sighs> I didn't know that. <laughs> but Well, I mean, Palatino is better as a, as a body copy font than a big headline logo kind of font. But I, I, I guess I can tolerate, 
I can tolerate the Palatino here. Anyway, um, well, at least the cover has that uh, Americana font, which is, uh, I always want to use it, but it just never really works out, Americana. There's something about it. But it works here, I suppose. And look, it's from that year that keeps cropping up, 1993, 30 years ago now, 1993. So... There's three volumes, and, I, and I, at one point, probably back in the 90s, I, this is basically a variant of the Great American Bathroom book. At one point in the 90s, I had all three volumes of the Great American Bathroom book. And I don't know, I don't have no recollection of how I lost them or got rid of them or whatever. Maybe they were damaged. I don't know. I don't know what happened with them. And eventually, I, I got a copy of uh, the Great American Bathroom book, volume one, back. Uh, so, I guess for the Canadian market, they created the Great Canadian Bathroom Book because one of the downsides of the title, Great American Bathroom Book, is it may not work in other countries, even though Canada is in North America, but, you know, it's still yeah associated with the United States of America. Anyway, this is a book, this is a company known as Compact Classics, your personal portable library. So, what this is, is essentially they would take um, books and uh, distill it down to two pages, right? Two pages uh, 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 summarizing all the like all the books in the world or major books in the world, right? And so it's a very cool concept. And so that I don't know if they have an intro here where they describe it, but I, as I recall, um, uh, when they called it Compact Classics, they didn't really sell very much. But when they changed it to the Great American Bathroom Book. Because you could have this in your bathroom and just while while the time you're on the toilet, you can read a whole, uh, you know, summary of of a book. Like here's Treasure Island, for example, by Robert Louis Stevenson, and they they just they tell the whole story in two pages, right? Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. Good heavens, Marion Dashwood! Dashwood exclaimed, "He is here! He is there!" Uh, but it's also. Um, you know, like self self help books, um, non fiction books, right? All sorts of stuff. And uh, I thought there was such a cool idea. Ooh, yeah. So it's like it's, it's, you can just sort of skim it. Oh, Rudyard Kipling. It's like over you know an overview of Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling or The Invisible Man by H. G. Wells. You know, like it's. Uh, I do remember reading a lot of it, I think, I, when I had all three editions. Well, this Palatino is bringing me down, though, man. Look, Shakespeare. I was just talking about Shakespeare on uh, the Actors episode. The Comedy of Errors by William Shakespeare. Wow. Aegeon arrives in Ephesus after five years at sea to find himself sentenced to death. What the hell? As a result of recent animosity between Ephesus and Ejon's native Syracuse, citizens of one city would be put to death if discovered in the other, unless a 1,000 mark ransom was paid to buy his liberty. What is there? Why is there a bug crawling on my book? Get out of here! <laughs> this is my book. <laughs> Get out of here. What is it, a Canadian insect? Get out of here. What the hell? Yeah, so you can, like, read all this... Shakespeare and okay, so here's what we have, and this is volume two again. We have drama through the ages, literary masterpieces. We have uh, poets and poetry, 
and we have uh, world religions, and then Western philosophy and overview. And the other, you know, and wait, there's more, more, more stuff here. And we have reaching and understanding. It's reaching and understanding, not reaching and understanding. That's weird. More quotes and anecdotes, and uh, more trivia to learn by. This is, and this is just one of the three volumes. Trivia to learn by. Let's see, let's see what we have here. Oh, here's quotes. Frank Sinatra. Hell hath no fury like a hustler with a literary agent. What? What the hell's out of that? Oh, you have to answer the questions here? What is this? Uh, see how well you can fill in the blanks for these literary terms and phrases. Blank is a Latin term that traditionally labeled the work as a masterpiece but today is often used with connotations of irony and sarcasm. Like an epic or something? Oh, I think the answers are on the right. I don't understand how this trivia works, but anyway. Uh, hmm. What are they just giving you? Oh, magnum opus. Okay, they're giving you the answers. You're supposed to cover it up with a piece of paper. Oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. A magnum opus. Okay. Anyway, I love the great Canadian, but I've, so I had the American version, but, you know, even though I, I've always been a fan of Canada, I know in recent years Canada is having some weird stuff going on up there. I don't know what the hell's going on up in Canada. Um, they, they seem to be becoming a little bit totalitarian in their, in their ways. I, it's not really very Canadian in my view, but it's a whole other topic. But I always wanted the great Canadian bath. I don't know where I heard about it, but I just always wanted it, so. This is like a great book to have, the Great Canadian Bathroom Book. It looks in pretty good shape. It doesn't seem it's been in someone's bathroom at least that long. Hopefully not. <laughs> uh, I don't know whatever happened to this compact classic company. I, I, I seem like they're there. This is the third printing, though, of the Great Canadian uh, Bathroom Book, August 1994. Hmm. I don't know. I know I've talked about this probably on the show in the past. Oh, look, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Wow, that's where The Secret of Nim was based on. Ramona the Pest by Beverly Cleary. Or my sister would read those books. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. That's a bit of a synchronicity because uh, I was um, catching up on last night's fish show because I couldn't watch it because we came home so late from the surgery center. But um, they were playing their song Prince Caspian, which, of course, is based on a character. In, uh, wait, is it Prince Cat? Wait, Prince Caspian is... Okay, it, it is Prince Caspian is from Narnia. I keep thinking of Prince Valiant, that uh, comic book, a uh, comic strip that of a different prince, Prince Valiant, Prince Caspian. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, a lot of princes out there. Anyways, I now have the Great Canadian Bathroom Book Volume Two. There's very few out there. I mean, it's very hard to find. I, I mean, if I could find all three volumes eventually, I, I guess I would like to. But I'm starting off starting off in the middle. Sometimes it's a good place to start off. Yeah. Hey, 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 it's later on now. Ooh, what the hell? Oh, the uh, the wrapper for the uh, Canadian book is uh, still out here. I'll have to put that away and put it in the garbage. Oh, it's recycling night. Got to remember that. Got to remember to recycle. So anyway, uh, if you're a student of history in the future, you may notice that today's date, which is, uh, what is today's date? Wednesday, October 11th. 2023, of course, uh, while Denise and I have been dealing with our situation, obviously the world situation, 
in the past week or so has uh, this issue uh, in Israel has uh, come up. What a shocking uh, series of uh, events that happened there. Uh, I only know what I've read on the internet that, uh, you know, and I've been, I think like everyone had been following this issue uh, to some extent. I don't really think I understand all the nuances of what's going on, but let me try to, this is just my understanding of the situation and it could be wrong. Um, This is just my overview sketch of what's happening is, uh, you know, obviously there was, they're saying Hamas, which is a group that represents Palestinians in Gaza Strip and the West Bank, has a launched a, an unprecedented attack on, on Israel, um, which the puzzling thing is Israel is supposed to have a very powerful security and intelligence apparatus going that would prevent such things, but didn't at all prevent this. That's one big question, but... The history behind it, as I understand it, is uh, World War II, the Holocaust, all of that. Uh, I think that after that, Britain, who I think was in control of what was then known as Palestine, um, uh, allowed for the creation of Israel, a homeland for the Jewish people, which was considered a traditional homeland, but at the time was inhabited by a group of people that were Palestinians because the country was Palestine and then it became Israel and then I don't know exactly what happened to the actually Palestinian people then because I mean at some point there was an, uh, a war I think 50 years ago there was a war then Israel took territory and then made that territory that they took the place that they allowed the Palestinians to live and it's been this sort of deadlock since then. Again, I completely admit that I'm probably like most people have heard about this situation, but I'm not intimately familiar with all the details of it. But that for many years now, Palestinian people have been sort of living in limbo in uh, this land, and they've been trying to negotiate a settlement to this entire thing for years and years. You know, this sort of peace in the Middle East, and I, and, and everyone has failed to, to achieve it. Um, And uh, so now there's been an enormous attack from the Palestinian side, Hamas, whatever. It's it's just it's it's very confusing and very troubling. All the news coming out of all of the violence that you know I would say that uh, unfortunately on both sides people are cheering on violence, attacks, counterattacks, and everything. And violence is not cool. And I think that uh, you know. I know it's a very human response to, in face of a, a wrong, to demand revenge, and then it's this cycle of back and forth. And I know it's easy to talk about it as an armchair quarterback, thousands of miles away. But um, yeah, it's just very troubling and very upsetting. And of course, you know, I've. I'm aware of all the conspiracy theories and all the different ideas and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I don't ascribe to any particular one. I would love to think that people could get past all this 
uh, putting people into groups and dividing people and especially feeling so beholden to you know I know I talk about this a lot and I know this is kind of a difficult topic but the idea that um, you know all of the setup of all of this is people from the past who have who are long dead that made these decisions to create these groups and create these religions and create these traditions they're not around anymore on any side for anyone on this entire planet the people in the past are all dead why do we all feel so beholden to continue and I'm not talking about any particular tradition all traditions if it's something that's bad or we don't like anymore let's just drop it and this is just more of a general concept it just seems that people are more adherent to um, the rules set forth by people who are now long dead than they should be around the entire world not to say we should abandon tradition but to say we should as the new people right because at this point in 2023 pretty much we know every single person that has that was alive in the year 1899 and before is now dead right and there's probably no one alive that was alive in 1900 1901 because we don't know of anyone that's 120 years old now the entire planet has has uh cycled over into a whole new set of people and yet it seems like we're all tied to the past so much and i understand that tradition is is the glue the whole society together and yes we it i'm not saying to abandon tradition i'm just saying if we as the new people take a look at a hard look at all of the stuff that's left over from the people that are dead let's keep what we want to keep but let's dump what we don't want right i mean And again, not to t- single out any tradition, uh, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, or anything else, or governmental institution, or anything. If we're saddled with the burden of ideas uh, that were put forth by people who are now long dead, that are now causing us such horrible trouble in the present, we're the new people. We don't necessarily need to uh, continue following the patterns of the people in the past. Now, I know one of the fringe scientific theories I talk about a lot is uh, morphic resonance, which does state that, and it is an explanation for why we all, as the new people on this planet, feel so connected to what has happened before and the rules and traditions that were set out by these people who are now gone and can't do anything about it anymore. Why we feel that we have to keep repeating the same patterns from the past Morphic resonance would, which is, I think, an incredibly compelling scientific theory, which is rejected by the scientific mainstream, could begin to show us ways to deal with this, right? That people are, when, when I'm saying in the traditional explanation, in the past, people set out laws and rules that were then followed by their children and their children's children and their children's children's children. Those people are now dead and gone, and yet we still seem to be suffering or benefiting from those patterns that were set up in the past. I'm just saying 
if morphic resonance is uh, uh, invalid as a theory, then we have to look at ourselves as, right, why is it that we can't detach ourselves from bad patterns from the past? If morphic resonance is a thing, then we should understand it more, and through more understanding of it, we could try to um, de-emphasize the bad patterns and emphasize the good patterns. As it is, it just seems like we're, we've inherited bad patterns from the past that are not doing us any good. I don't know if really many people are thinking about it from that angle. Um, anyway, just some thoughts on the matter. Listen, I don't listen. When it comes to world events, does everyone have to have an opinion on every single aspect of it? I don't know. I, I, I feel like the only comment I have on the overall situation is that it feels like a failure of us current new people to manage the world that we're in, especially in, as, as I've been mentioning, in terms of trying to quell and eliminate these patterns that we've been following from the past. That leaves the question open, can we even let go of the past to any, any degree? But I also understand, because of my awareness of all the conspiracy theories going on, and not all of them, but many of them, that there's uh, you know, a sense of the destruction of tradition as one of the goals of the bad people. So what I'm saying is, I'm not saying we should destroy tradition. I'm saying we should take a hard look at all of the patterns from the past, be they religions, uh, mores, uh, folkways, um, you know, laws, right, documents, uh, uh, societal patterns, every, every pattern that we're picking up from the past, which obviously we have to pick up some patterns because if we, it's kind of hard to start from scratch, you know. Because this, the patterns that we have kind of sort of work. I mean, it, you know. Do we have a capacity to uh, reevaluate the patterns from the past that are hurting us today? If we do, we should do it. If we don't, well, then we're screwed. <laughs> you know, we just, we're, we're, we're doomed to keep reliving the same patterns over and over again. Of which war, war and violence seem to be a, a you know, a prime uh, example of. You know. Anyway, that's it. My commentary on that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's not very helpful. But what the, what the heck do you want? I mean, I hope uh, that uh, the violence can stop and that uh, you know people can learn to get along. I mean, I know that sounds very naive, but yeah. Anyways, on onto a more onto a more pleasant topic. I bought three T-shirts this morning. I know, I know in the face of these other topics, it seems uh, it doesn't seem very important, but it's important to me. Because I was sort of, there were three t-shirts uh, <coughs> that uh, from totally different companies and totally different angles that I've been sort of agonizing over whether I should buy or not. So I open up the web pages, I look at them, I'm like, no, I don't need more t-shirts. I have so many t-shirts as it is. That's pretty much the only type of fashion I really care about is t-shirts. What do I have on? Oh, I have my uh, Kava Kava Molecule T-shirt from uh, the Kava Bar in uh, in Austin. I consider it one of my lesser T-shirts, but it's all right. It has a Kava Kava Molecule on the front. Anyway, 
so this morning I was just like agonizing over it again. I'm like, I'll just, just buy the damn t-shirt. So I just bought all three. <coughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so the ones I bought, <coughs> two of them were fairly reasonably priced. The other one was a little more expensive because it was from the UK. So, uh, you know, the band Gentle Giant, um, huge fan of Gentle Giant. I, th- I, I feel like when it, in, in the world of classic rock, progressive rock, Gentle Giant is the band that most people have never heard of, right? And if you think of Genesis, Yes, King Crimson, all these kind of huge prog rock bands, Gentle Giant is... Uh, should is absolutely stand shoulder, shoulder to shoulder with the best of the best of progressive rock, Jethro Tull, what have you, all these bands, Pink Floyd, even yes, all of like Gentle Giant is, I would say maybe the best of all of them, and yet I never even heard of them until a few years ago. They never made any impact in the United States. Apparently, one of their albums, I think Freehand, maybe did fairly well. That was in the mid seventies, but they don't have any hits that are played on classic rock radio. Um, but when you start getting into the albums, man, it is so good. They pretty much only existed in the 70s. I think from 70 to 80, basically, was their their tenure. But they broke up. They never got back together. But their organization, including some of the original band members, uh, they're continuing to make new music videos. Stephen Wilson is remastering uh, their albums. Uh, they finally reissued uh, Civilian, which was their last album, which is actually a very good album. And so I've been buying the new T-shirts they've been creating, at least for, uh, you know, the general uh, giant face logo. I have that one. I also have uh, this civilian uh, T-shirt. They just uh, released a new T-shirt for In a Glass House, which is a great graphic. It's a black background with white graphics. And that's that, uh, the album that I think I talked about recently on the show, the first song, uh, Runaway. Um, When I listen to it, it gives me memories of living in another timeline, which may or may not be... uh, legitimate but what a great album so i was just should i get the hoodie should i get the long sleeve t-shirt the regular t-shirt should i get it at all so finally I just, i'm just gonna get the regular t-shirts of all these so i bought that one then a felt more recent one and this is a bit more away from my uh usual taste but there's uh this uh gecko hawaii brand like a surf brand that somehow i got on a mailing list or something but they uh, hooked up with this guy, Steve Nazar. I've never heard of any of these people, but apparently he illustrated a bunch of surf-related T-shirts back in the 80s, and this one had the gecko and all this other stuff, and it's like a purple shirt, and when you touch it, it changes colors. It's this whole thing, so I just bought that one, too. Again, those two were... I mean, T-shirts don't cost 10 bucks anymore. They're like 30-something bucks each, but again, those two were relatively under control in terms of the price, you know, you, you, you know... I know it sounds like a lot of money, but, you know, what's the best you can do? Like on uh, TeePublic, you can get a T-shirt for like 20 I, I, I don't know. Finally, there's this site, uh, TSPTR, and the magazine I really love, Shindig Magazine, they often, um, they're big fans of TSPTR, and uh, it's a British uh, fashion company that is very focused on the culture of uh, California in the 1970s, 60s and 70s. I have one T-shirt from them, which is a, a wizard under a mushroom, uh, Topanga Canyon. But their latest, their latest uh, line is called Videodrome, and it's um, 
it's uh, sort of video horror movies on video from the 70s, 80s. Um, so they do actually have t-shirts from the Cronenberg film Videodrome, um, and they had a few other ones as well. The one that I liked the best was had this pterodactyl on the front and uh, West Coast video logo. That was completely sold out, it, c- completely sold out. So they had this one, uh, Magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, with this mu- hand holding a mushroom, another mushroom, and a black background. And that one, um, that was the best of the ones that were still available. I really did like it. And then in the back, there's some video logos and stuff. And So, okay, let me just get that one, which is in, in pounds, so you don't know how much you're actually spending. That was more in the range of 70-something dollars, which is ridiculous. I understand. It's already expensive in pounds, and then, you know, in U.S. dollars, it's ridiculous for a T-shirt, but... I guess because I was buying the other two, I'll let me just buy all these damn T-shirts. Um, but um, in the little article about it in Shindig Magazine, they mentioned uh, this um, one of the shirts was in relation to a movie that was being made that never got um, made. Oh, weird. There's a weird synchronicity here. Trying to find it here. It is, uh, what is it called? Something 70. I thought I had a link to it here. Hold on, let me find it. Uh, a movie that uh, was left incomplete and called Saturation 70. Right, and I'm going to go to TSPTR here. TSPTR. And that they have sort of the T-shirt that they had related to this movie was not a T-shirt that I particularly cared for, but uh, the uh, I had never heard of this movie before, so this is uh, kind of interesting. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Ah, uh, here it is. Uh, they're, they're calling it Grievous Angel. It's like a long sleeve T-shirt uh, with Graham Parsons on it. Is it Graham Parsons? I think so. Because I was also, the synchronicity was I, I was going to talk about Graham Nash. It's, uh, this says, Eight years before Star Wars, a maverick director led a crew into the desert to film a psychedelic science fiction epic starring the nudie, suit-wearing, cosmic country legend Graham Parsons. What's a nudie suit? It's just a type of suit. It's like a Nehru, Nehru suit, a nudie suit. Uh, and the five-year-old son of Rolling Stone, Brian Jones, called Saturation 70. The film was the brainchild of an American writer-director named Tony Fouts, the son of a Walt Disney Company executive and a friend of, to both Parsons and the Rolling Stones. The film was shot but never completed at a 1969 UFO convention at, at Giant Rock, near Joshua Tree in the Mojave Desert. I guess that's in California. It tapped into the spectrum of esoteric interests and themes of the late 60s counterculture, including aliens, psychedelic drugs, and time travel. So yeah, there's Graham Parsons. Yeah, the, the shirt is not uh, anything that I would want, but anything anyway. Uh, saturation 70, right? Um, uh, it looks like I don't know if this is related or not, but there is a Kickstarter for a book about the movie. 
there's all there's really not anything. I couldn't find any footage. Apparently, there's a uh, a show reel or a demo reel of the movie that exists, but it's not available. It's not in circulation. I'm trying to see if I can find. Um, That uh, that uh, Kickstarter. Yeah, here it is. Here it is about Saturation Seventy. So there's not that they're not. I don't know why they're not just releasing the movie or all the existing footage. But they're they're releasing a book, and this Kickstarter just got started. There's a video here. Maybe this video will help. Uh, you know. Help us understand the whole thing. When we opened the bar in 2021, we wanted to honor the legacy of Joshua Tree in the High Desert. We had heard about a wild science fiction film featuring Graham Parsons that was shot at a UFO convention in the late 60s from photographer Andy Nathanson. She said she was in it. It didn't seem real. Eventually, we found a magazine article with photos from the movie and commissioned Adam to paint this mural and tribute to the spirit that brought people out to Joshua Tree in the 60s and continues to do so today. A new book about a mythical lost pop culture artifact. Before Star Wars, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Blade Runner, there was Saturation 70. From visionary filmmakers, whoever. Going too fast. Oh, look, there's uh, Douglas Trumbull. A groundbreaking science fiction film about environmental collapse. Starring Julian something, the son of Brian Jones, Graham Parsons. I I can't read anything. It's being cut off by the... uh, Michelle Phillips, oh, she's in Mamas and Papas, Some, someone, is she from the Mamas and Papas? I don't know who these people are. Nudie Cohn? Ida Random? Who are these people? Marsha Holzer? With music by Roger something. It's going too fast, I can't read this stuff. It's good music though, right? I don't know what this music is. Is this actually from the soundtrack? And Graham Parsons did some music, too. There he is playing the piano in the Chateau Marmont, apparently. The film was never completed. Most of the footage was lost, but now the full story can be told. Saturation 70, the book, coming April 2024. Support us on Kickstarter. Jesus. Give us a chance to read this stuff, please. I didn't support it yet. I don't really know if I want another Kickstarter book. I don't know, man. Anyway, though, it seems like these, these people are have access to just release a damn movie are they going to give us the movie in one of these reward slots or something i don't know i just want to see something i don't know oh, i don't know man. but it's cool that they they show some scenes like uh they they filmed like a shootout in a supermarket in california in like 19 1960s looks pretty cool april 2024 well i guess it'll be here before we know it I don't really know Graham Parsons that much. I, I I know he's like that psychedelic country music kind of stuff. Yeah. So they show you a little bit of what, what's in that reel, in that video. 
Cosmic oh, the Cosmic Kitties are like the aliens. Attends to a fallen soldier after a gunfight in a Century City supermarket. A Polaroid from the set of Saturation 70 from the Anthony Fouts archive. That's kind of cool. You see it inside a supermarket in the late 60s. Yeah. So, stuff is happening with Saturation 70. So it's from 1970. Yes, there you go. From It wasn't 60s. It was 1970. Okay, gotcha. 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 Anyways, what do we have? Oh, we have a few more things here. Should I should I do the Kickstarter? I don't know. I really don't want to do the Kickstarter. I don't I mean if they if they have the movie, I'll watch the movie. I don't know if I want to sit and look at a book of the movie. Why don't we just get the movie? Give us a damn movie. Obviously they have access to this guy Fouts. Uh just put out the damn movie. Forget about this book. What is wrong with these people? The movie's where we want to we want the movie. And it is once again later on. Got some uh, Lafroig 16 here. Look at me living it up. Super expensive scotch. Three t-shirts for God's sakes. Right? I know. I'm living it up. Mmm. Lafroig 16. 16 year old Lafroig scotch from the Isla region of Scotland. Yum yum. Yeah. So yeah, the cleaning crew is coming tomorrow, so I have to I have to do a lot of cleaning so the cleaning crew can clean. But the cleaning crew is usually two women and now it's only one because one of them had to go to Brazil. So it's going to take a lot longer. So, I have a lot of cleaning and then I have fish tonight too, so from Ohio, from Dayton, Ohio, and that's in this time zone, so it's on an 8 instead of 9. Because uh, Nashville's in the central time zone somehow. I don't know how that works. That barrier or that line between the uh, eastern and central time zone is all uneven. I guess depends how it works for each each area in each state. Time zones. Mmm, scotch. It's so delicious. So yeah, this medical system, as I mentioned, it's like... Um, you know, actually, Denise really should have gotten surgery a d- within a day. And it's just uh, the system is set up. They just sent us home from the hospital. And then the guy said, the, the doctor that did the surgery is like, what, what hospital did you go to? And he's like, yeah, they, they really should have helped you out more. I mean, what the heck's going on here? So um, the CAT scans from the hospital, the, the doctor... There's just, again, there's a, a pair of doctors that did do this surgery. They wanted to see the CAT scan, so I'm thinking, all right, well, it's 2023. I don't know. Can they go on the website and get the CAT scans? Apparently, that's not how it works. So uh, we had to do it. So it was like Friday, and the surgery was scheduled for Tuesday, and it's like uh, they're like, no. I'm like, hey, can I come in and pick up those CAT scans? I'll, I'll come to the hospital if I need to. I, they're like, well, uh, no, Denise has to come. You, you, you know, unless you have a, a power of attorney over her, you have to. She has to come personally. I'm like, because she's injured. Oh well, you can use the portal. So the website, it's like super confusing, and uh, they're going to put it in the mail. They're going to drop it in the mail, but who knows how long that's going to take? So we tried it out. Then afterwards, they're like, oh no, we could have emailed it to you. 
but it would take 48, uh, 24 to 48 hours to initiate the email. Plus, it was a holiday weekend. It was Columbus Day slash Indigenous Peoples Day on Monday. So on Monday, the office was open. We didn't get it in the mail on Friday or Saturday. Saturday was the last day we would have gotten it because Sunday they don't deliver mail, and Monday is a federal holiday, so they don't deliver mail. So Denise being injured, we actually went to the hospital and went. We had to go up to the office and get. Luckily, they did it very quickly. They handed us a CD with all the scans on it. So then we drove up to Maywood, New Jersey, like a half hour drive. Went to the doctor's office and dropped it off, just so they would be able to look at the scans to help them with the surgery. Obviously, it was in our interest to make sure that they had all the information they needed. So we talked to the doctor yesterday. She's like. Oh, um, yeah, thank you for dropping off the CD, but it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. The CD was busted. She's like, but there's this other doctor who you went to first, and he has access to the portal so he can see it. So, like, he was, it was on his screen, and I guess he was using his phone to show. It was like this insanity. Can you imagine? The technology of medicine is so broken. Uh, information technology. It's ridiculous. It really does feel like a holdover from a previous age. It's like a different kind of structure. They're carrying over patterns of the past, too. But we got through it. It's whatever. It's like, anyway. But that was so, after we went through this huge effort, the CD didn't work. What, was a CD burner on the fritz? I mean, what the hell? People using CD burners these days? Couldn't have given us a thumb drive? That's also like kind of... Don't you think they could have just like, given us a password? Oh, here, give this to your doctor. They can type in this password, and then they can see it. No, they don't have anything like that. They, don't, they, they haven't discovered the cloud yet. Yeah. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Anyway, back to the topic of fish. Um, so this is a fall tour. It was uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Nashville, and now today, Tuesday, and today, Wednesday in uh, Dayton, Ohio, and then... This weekend, I think they're in Chicago. Chicago, yeah, which is also going to be in Central Time Zone. Um, but someone figured out that the show on Friday was Fish's two thousandth show, show number two thousand. Um, <coughs> so they don't have any songs that quite relate to two thousand, but it was kind of weird. They played a, a Fishman, I guess, played a sample from. I think it was Fishman, if not. Um, Page, but they played a sample from the movie The Blues Brothers, the original Blues Brothers movie. Now, initially, I'm thinking Blues Brothers. There was a movie called Blues Brothers 2000, which I don't. I, I think I may have seen that. I really do like the original Blues Brothers movie. Um, Blues Brothers 2000 is from 1998, by the way, not from 2000. Uh, John Goodman kind of replaces John Belushi. They got a they got a John at least. And uh, anyway. But they played a clip from the regular Blues Brothers, but I don't know if it was in reference to Blues Brothers 2000 or something, but it was the Orange Whip quote, which I didn't, I didn't know people were so, like, into that quote. Uh, John Candy. Uh, <coughs> apparently someone related to the movie's cousin or something was... There was a company called Orange Whip, which I guess is sort of like a, an Orange Julius but with alcohol. Here is a scene from the movie. Who wants an orange whip? Orange whip? Orange whip? Three orange whips. 
So I guess people obsess on that. I mean, I, I, I don't think I've seen Blues Brothers in a long time, and I, I'm, I don't think of this as a Mandela thing. I think it's fine. I'm sure that was in the movie. I never, it never really made that much of an impression on me, but I guess a lot of people are obsessed with that line about the orange whip. Um, so maybe that's why they played played that. I don't know. I guess I can find that right on the fish. Uh, yeah, let's let's see on fish.in. We can probably hear them talking about the orange, playing the sample of orange whip. So maybe, in a weird way, they were thinking of Blues Brothers 2000, but they just played a clip from Blues Brothers, so it slightly relates to the the number 2000. Let's see what we can find here. Julius, good song. Is this, but is this before they played the clip, or? I don't know if they cut that part out. That's not good. Just is it further away? Well, Orange Julius, too, right? Yeah, I didn't realize that. It's all connected. Because an Orange Julius is just like an orange whip without the rum in it or whatever. Maybe we won't be able to find the quote. I really could have sworn it was before that. A week is a month and an hour a day. But your reaching just pushes it further away. Don't take another step. Let me see if I can find an alternate source for that. Because they, they do uh, allow uh, everyone to see the first song of each set on YouTube. So that may still be up. I know they take those down after a while. Why is everything so complicated these days? It's on there, but then they take it down. Is it, is it, but is it, would it still be up just a few days later? Let's see. I think they did. Uh, I think they did that song, Julius, on um, on the Letterman once, right? Let's see. <clears throat> Hold on one second. <laughs> I think we can find this here. No, no. I guess they took it down already. I don't know. It's yeah. Oh, well. Let's see. Let me try one more. Maybe someone has a personal video of it. I got, why would they have cut that off? That's a very important audio reference, you know? Very important indeed. But uh, the reference is to Julius Caesar, because they start the song Danger, I've Been Told to Expect It, which apparently is a quote from Shakespeare's Synchronicity. We were just talking about Shakespeare earlier. Okay. Uh, Search filters, latest. Sort by upload date. Okay, here we go. This is someone's personal video of it, and let's see if they... No. Danger. Okay. 
this may be better. This may be it. Be later in the song. Let me just pause and oh, we can just hear the song. They allow people to hear it in a non-commercial sense, right? I want to hear about the orange whips, damn it! All right, I'll pause and I'll find it for you. All right, I think this may be it. The next song, "Back on the Train," when it ended. I want an orange whip, damn it. Give me one. How do you make it? Let's see if the recipe. Here's the next song. Mama Dance. Okay, hold on a second here. <clears throat> is orange whip like a brand name or it's not a brand name? Should I capitalize it? I think it is a brand name. Yeah, because it was a company, Orange Whip and Orange Julius. I don't know if it's vegan though. Do they put cream in it or something? Let's look. Let's find Orange Whip. I know Orange Julius is not Orange Whip recipe. Do do do. Uh. Rum, vodka. Hmm. Uh, four parts orange juice, one ounce, four ounces orange juice, one ounce rum, one ounce vodka, and two ounces of cream. So that's not vegan, but you know, you could use vegan cream. Oat milk, creamer, vegan orange whip. Blint. Blend briefly with hand blender. Pour ingredients over ice and stir. Hand blender. Mm. Blended with no ice, then on the rocks. Okay. Yeah. Orange Whip has been has also been used as a brand name for non-alcoholic drinks. Hmm. The 1950s tropical fruit company marketed an Orange Whip concentrate to be served as a fountain beverage. Jean Carmen an actress and pinup model from that period, was once dubbed Miss Orange Whip. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office 
lists various applications for the orange whip trademark to be applied to drinks and a chain of juice stores. Interesting. Who, who, who is this Jean Carmen? She was uh, from 1930 to 2007. L- life. It's kind of sad to reduce someone to like the. But I guess that's how you, t- you tell a human the, the years they were alive from. Was an American model, actress, and trick shot golfer. Really? Jean Carmen. Never heard of her. Let's see some pictures of Jean Carmen. Does she like wear an orange whip costume or? She's like a pinup model. Can we turn safe search off? I mean, <laughs> wait a second. Is safe search on? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't find it. It's very safe. The search is very safe. Okay. The reluctant golf pupil. <coughs> the reluctant golf pupil? Hmm. Anyway, she looks like she had a lot of fun. The orange whips and stuff. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> In other news, while I was watching HDTV in the surgery center waiting room, there were multiple commercials for uh, Press Your Luck, the 80s game show, which apparently returned last night for the first time in a long time. And here's the promo video I found. Uh Uh-oh. They deleted the video, really? It was working earlier. Damn it. See, I told you, they delete these videos very quickly. Uh, let's see. Anything? Elizabeth Banks is the host now? The all-new Press Your Luck. Is this, it looks like a video? Hey guys, I'm Elizabeth Banks, and I'm so excited to be back with more Press Your Luck. Oh, unfortunately, I'm not the only one it returns September 24th. So maybe it already had returned. Hey, guys. I'm Elizabeth okay. Banks, and I'm so excited to be back. I, I, I don't know. All right, enough. Enough. Okay. So maybe it already had. I, th- I kind of remember it, it returning a couple years ago. I don't know. But anyway, Press Your Luck, of course, was a game show where um, there was like a – not really like a wheel. It was like a, a, a rectangle of video screens, and it was randomly – choosing one like each second and then you would press a button and then you would choose the video screen which would have money or categories you can win a trip or it would have the whammy right the whammies were these little like red gremlin creatures that were animated that would uh, they had different animated segments where they would like destroy all the money you had earned like they would have like a little tnt bomb or other ways of like a sledgehammer to destroy your money the whammies and so typically the contestants back in the 80s would be like Big money, no whammies, and stop, you know. And uh, the connection with that uh, is that uh, the, the whammies were originally animated back in the 80s by a, a fellow named uh, Savage Steve Holland, I believe. I'm doing this all from memory. Savage Steve Holland who was a director also. He had made two movies, at least, with John Cusack, um, Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer, uh, if you remember those movies. And um, those were very popular movies, and he he, an, he was an animator. He, was like a, he animated the whammies, apparently. Years later, Mad Mike, 
my radio co-host back in my uh, 80s college radio show, Anything But Monday. And we've we've done it. We've we've had revivals of it over the years as well. Anything but Monday. You can find a ton of them in the archive. Um, he was trying to make a movie called Multiplexing, and um, it was a movie. He wrote the script. I read the script. It was a good script. It was about um, a bunch of uh, young people working in a movie theater and all the hijinks that ensue. And it was uh, strongly influenced by his experience working in a movie theater. Uh, the one that was uh, not in the Willowbrook Mall in, in Wayne, New Jersey, but it was uh, it was like next to the Willowbrook Mall. I think it's now an AMC. It's still there, actually. It's a multiplex. But he worked there uh, back in the 80s with this guy, Dave, who also was involved in our 2007 Anything But Monday short-lived revival. So he wrote this movie, Multiplexing, and he uh, he was trying to get it financed. And uh, making a movie is not easy. But he contacted Savage Steve Holland, the guy that animated the whammies, which they're still using those same whammies. I don't know if that guy's still alive. Did he die or was I know he also was contacted Taylor Negron, who was a character actor who was in uh he was a pizza guy in Fast Times at Bridgemont High. He also contracted that guy or contacted that guy to be in the movie, but the guy, then he died a year later. I don't know when this all happened, a couple of years ago. Anyway, so he apparently this is all from memory, don't quote me on this, but I think he paid a retainer to Savage Steve. It kind of appropriate, Mad Mike and Savage Steve. You know, this it's a name preceded by an adjective that you're mad, you're savage, you're wild, you're crazy. Do I have one like that? Freaky Frank. No. Uh no, I don't. Uh my my uh gnome de plume was the rampler at one point, but I decided to put a kibosh on that. Just call myself my actual real name, Frank Edward Nora. That is my full real name. All these fake names. I know people are smarter using fake names, but I'll use my, my real name. Why? I don't know. It's just easier that way. It's more straightforward. What do you want? Anyway, um, so I think he paid some money to Mr. Savage Steve Holland to direct the movie, and it was kind of like on retainer, but then... As I recall, and again, I may be wrong on this, but uh, Mad Mike initiated an Indiegogo or Kickstarter campaign um, whenever this was, 2017, 2014. I don't know what year this was. It's in the it's in the archive. It's on the shows. I remember we talked to him about it. And he mentioned, oh, you know, this, this you know, we, we have, uh, you know, Savage Steve Holland is on board and because he already paid the guy, and I don't know what kind of contract they had. As soon as apparently, as soon as he put up this Indiegogo and or Kickstarter, he heard from uh, Savage Steve Holland's lawyers. Take this down immediately. Savage Steve is not involved in this project, and I don't know what the hell happened. I mean, I I, I only heard about a third from from Mike, you know, and uh, so the whole thing was uh, put on ice. The movie still has not been made. I don't know what's up with Savage Steve Holland. Did he die? I thought he died. Did he die? I think he's still alive, actually. I think it was Taylor Negron that died. Listen, memories fade over time. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. But there's so many details. And maybe it's better to forget a lot of them. Like, do I need all these details? Savage Steve Holland. Let's see. Is he alive or dead? Uh, he's alive. He's alive. All right, there he is. 
He screwed over Mad Mike and he's still alive. What do you want? <sighs> but did they mention that he did uh, the, uh, yeah, designer and animator of the Whammies? Yeah. So the original Pressure Luck was in 83 to 86. And the revised series from twi- oh, started in 2019. Okay, I, th- I thought it came back for the first time last night. How wrong I was. So anyway, yeah. So now I'm sure Mad Mike is very upset watching Press Your Luck. It's like, that freaking guy that ruined my movie Kickstarter. He made those whammies. Talk about ruining it. Those whammies ruined the movie. They didn't just ruin t- the, you know, the, 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 the quiz on the, on the TV game show. The, the whammy kind of, he got whammied. His movie got whammied by Steve, Steve Holland. Please. Hmm. Interesting. I, I just searched Steve Holland in multiplexing, and there's actually, there was some news. Multiplexing the movie directed by, yeah. It was on Kickstarter. Look at this. What did they, what did they put out? Press releases? Better off dead. Do they have a date on this? April 10th, 2014. Okay. This is on IMDb News. Savage Steve Holland has come on board to direct a multiplexing, revisiting the teen comedy arena of his 80s cult films Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer. Producers are Wayne Six Entertainment's Mark Heidelberger, Mike Mossado, and David Crump with Richard Salvatore, The Big Wedding, and David E. Ornston, A Summer Shoot is Planned. Crump penned the script. Oh, Crump penned this. I thought Mike wrote it. Okay. See, I'm I'm learning more now. Which tracks a ragtag group of small-town teens who get the surprise of a lifetime when the studio behind a summer tentpole release decides to premiere its film at their hometown multiplex. Holland received a Director's Guild of America nomination last year for Big Time Movie for a Nickelodeon. He is repped by Appa and Zifrin Brittenham. Paradigm will rep the film and handle domestic sales. Wow. I don't know what, what the uh, what the uh, misunderstanding was. I mean, uh, the, this, the news is still... Look, it was even on... It was even on Ain't It Cool News. Remember remember when that was cool? It ain't anymore, but uh, April 10th, 2014. The same the same press release is uh is uh yeah. Reproduced on Ain't It Cool Is Ain't It Cool News still a thing? Remember that? I, I hardly even remember that. Yeah, so it was just like a press release they they put out. Uh Kick Track, the Kickstarter website. And here yeah, here's it is actually here is the actual information. October 10th, 2014. This is May, June, July, August, September. Six months later. Sad news. Sad news. So this is all public. It's all public information. Okay. I am really sad to report that I was contacted late today by the representation for our director, Savage, Steve, and sadly, he has decided not to participate in the Kickstarter. When I communicated with him last week about launching this project, he sent dot, 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 and I don't think the rest of that is available. Yeah. It, it was, it, yeah, you go to the page, the page is gone. So, anyway. Yeah. Sa- he's savage indeed. He was very savage. Yeah. But this press release was reproduced in uh, all over the place. Fast Company. No, not Fast Company. Digital Spy Forum. All these remnants, these remnants of stories. 
Hmm. Wow. Sad. I would have loved to see that movie. What, what, what do you think Mike would have put me in the movie? I, I could have been in the movie. I could have been like I played a bit part. That was 2014. That was like nine years ago or something. You know what I mean? It's like nine years ago. Can you? 2014 was nine years ago. Suppose since it's 2023, the math kind of adds up for that one. A lot of math today on the show. Anyways, I want to thank you so much for patching in to this episode of the Overnightscape. I'm your host of Frankly Frank Nora. No, I don't have an adjective. I'm just Frank Edward Nora, your host of the Overnightscape here in Nutley, New Jersey. I got to clean up, man. I got a lot of cleaning to do before fish comes on. Fish comes on at eight. It's probably freaking like six thirty already. I, I I have a lot of cleaning doing an hour. Uh, no, it's like seven. What the fuck? <laughs> it's seven o'clock. I have an hour to clean the hell out of this house before the cleaning crew comes tomorrow. Minus one, so it's a cleaning crew of one. What the hell's going on, man? Oh, because I, I, I've been recording for like 40, 45 minutes. <laughs> I thought, okay, I'll go finish up the show in 10 minutes. And look at this. Look at this. Anyway, I have to ask. Next time I talk to Mike, i got to ask him about that project. What the hell happened? Maybe he can have an AI make the movie now. You know, now that now you can do it. Just feed the script into the AI program and it'll spit out a movie. That'd be good. I don't think they have that yet. That's probably a 2024 thing, you know, 2025 maybe. Write a script and just put it in and it'll make the movie for you. Yeah. Great. Great. That'll do wonders for humanity. Mmm. Finishing up my scotch here. Anyways, we are here on OnSug Radio, a radio station inside a book. Just go to OnSug.com for all their latest news, many different hosts on the channel, many different shows. We are a non-commercial project, which helps. We don't need to do Kickstarters because we we don't money is not we are only we we all kept our day jobs essentially, and uh, we don't worry about money. This is fairly cheap to to do this stuff, so we don't need to worry about it. We don't need to do Kickstarters to do each episode. Imagine if, if every episode of the overnight oh, there's a new Kickstarter for episode uh, two twenty fifty five of the Overnight Escape. Please contribute, early contributors get early access. No. We are non-commercial. It's all free forever. We're also very focused here on Onsug Radio on preserving our audio for future generations. We have over 14,000 hours of audio, which is uh, like a year and over a year and seven months at this point of solid audio. Is that insane? So much audio. It's technology. The technology, yeah. It all fits inside a terabyte thus far. And uh, I just bought on Amazon Prime Day, I bought a couple of Buffalo... uh, like high quality SSDs, terabytes, they're like 50 bucks each on sale. You know, I, I just need those terabytes to come down in price so I can uh, put put the whole archive on there and distribute it in some level. You see what I'm saying? We want to preserve, preserve the Overnightscape Underground Onslaught Radio Archive for future generations. Are you one of those people in the future? You're listening in like the year 2828? In the year 2828, people listen to Onsug Radio all the time. Because what else are they doing? Because the world sucks in 2028. All they have to do is listen to Onsug Radio. But then in another 100 years, the world gets, gets better. Because people followed the information they found in Onsug Radio to rebuild the world. Do-do-do. Yes, there you go. But yeah, your voice can be in this archive. Can you imagine someone listening to what you have to say in a thousand years? 
Remember, uh, Gene Shepard had this, uh, you know, in a hundred years, no one will ever know that you existed. You'll be completely wiped out of existence, something like that. But with OnSug Radio, there's a chance if you participate, your voice can be heard in the future. Do you care? Some people do, some people don't. I care. I, I want to do. I want to provide this message in a bottle for those people in the future because I think they'll really they'll get a kick out of it. I really do. We're providing a service for the people of the future, even though they didn't necessarily ask for it. They can't ask for it. They're not born yet. Okay? Capiche? But there is a show each week called Overnight Escape Central, and you are invited to participate. Please do. Just go to onsug.com. That's O-N-S-U-G.com. Onsug just stands for Overnight Escape Underground. Short for a sort of an acronym, kind of, sort of. They're portmanteau words. I hate that word, but, uh, yeah, they're Overnight Escape Underground, O-N-S-U-G. You see what I'm saying? Find Overnight Escape Central. There's a new one each week, and uh, PQ uh, puts the next week's topic in the show notes. So you can uh, you can listen to the episode, and towards the end you'll hear all the instructions on how you can participate. Um, for example, what was this week's topic? This week's topic was actors. And you can hear me t- me and uh, PQ and Doc Slees talking about actors. It could have been you. You could have been in there as well. And next week's topic is sitcoms. I know sitcoms are not really particularly relevant in 2023, but back in a certain time period, the 50s through this, through the 90s, really, the sitcoms or situation comedies, as as they were known, situation comedies. That everything has a situation, though. But anyway, you, sitcoms, <coughs> right? <coughs> like Three's Company, My Three Sons. As My Three Sons was that that show was kind of sad. I don't know if that was actually a comedy, but Three's Company is a good one. Three's Company, too. I Love Lucy. Friends, of course. That's a big one. Frasier. I never really watched Frasier, but... You know these sitcoms? Brady Bunch. That's a sitcom. That's one of the big ones. Partridge Family. That's like Gen X. Gen X Gold right there. Why am I tapping my glass? Anyway, you know what I'm saying, so please participate. I'd love to hear from you. This OnSug Radio really is the mother load. I'm working feverishly on the next edition of the book. Just go to onsug.com. You can buy the previous edition of the book or download it for free. The next edition coming in a few months. Print edition. Print on demand. Non-commercial. I don't make any money. I, I, I you know, I go on the Amazon print services, and I, I, I price it as low as possible, so I don't make any money. <laughs> crazy. It's almost like Crazy Eddie. The prices are so low. They're completely insane. Okay? Onsug Radio. There are no prices. It's all free. Except the print book, you got to buy. I mean, they, they got to pay for the paper and the the giant book book machine they have in Delaware. Or whatever. You know what I'm saying, anyways. Check it out, Onsug Radio. Now that you are aware of it, it is truly the mother load of such content. And for the rest of your existence and in future existences, perhaps you can listen to our shows and enjoy them. You are now one of those people that has heard of Onsug Radio. Congratulations. And now something else you will have heard of. A savage reality, if there ever was one in audio, known as The Other Side. The following program is brought to you in living color on NBC.
Sit, Ubu, sit. Good dog. Television Network.
played in Beirut, a murder in Los Angeles, a shootout in Miami. They all came together on Black Sunday. Brace yourself for the greatest suspense thriller of the decade. Black Sunday, Certificate AA, at Plaza 1 and 2 off Piccadilly Circus, ABC Shaftesbury Avenue, Fulham Road, and Bayswater now. And special presentation at ABC's Ealing, Mile End, Putney, Romford, Streatham, and Woodford from Sunday. Black Sunday, for 100,000 people, one day may never come.
This is your community channel, Channel 8, Guelph. TV, Channel 8. Be sure to check our community bulletin board for our program listings of live and repeat broadcasting times. Our programs are brought to you through the continued effort of volunteers, staff, and sponsors. If you feel you'd like to participate in any of the aspects of television production, give us a call at 824-1900. through the experience. It's easy and it's fun. Join us at Channel 8.
be kids for long. You see, we've grown a bit from the start of this song. I'd like to introduce now a salesperson and a homemaker. Meet B.J. Elgin. Hi, B.J. Hello, Jack. How are you? Would like to call you B.J.? Yes, B.J. Okay. And tell us a little bit about your family. Well, Jack, my husband, uh, Charles, is a systems analyst. I have three children. My oldest daughter, Vicki, a son, Michael, and my youngest daughter, Teresa. And I have all the vices in the family. You, you mean you personally have them? Mm -hmm. What vices do you have? I'm a polka addict. Oh. <laughs> My husband can't afford any vices. Well, maybe you can win here, you can afford that vice of yours. And a lot will oh. depend on these categories. Here they are. In this game, we'll be playing with telegrams, followed by the body. Then we have South America, gay 90s, and finally, all about languages. The challenger always goes first. That's you, B.J. Elgin. Spinning good luck. Come on, jokers. Gay 90s, a joker, and a triple. Physical education instructor James A. Naismith, N-A-I-S-M-I-T-H, invented a sport in 1891 in which bushel, bushel baskets were part of the game. Name the sport. I hope it's basketball. He invented basketball. Right, Jack. You're spinning your second game, Steve Miller. Good Let's luck. Let's see those jokers. Joker, South American, and the body. 
Ooh. Well, let's take uh, the body for $100, Jack. The name for a tooth with a broad biting surface, surface comes from a Latin word meaning grinder. What is this grinding tooth called? I hope it's incisor. No, it's not right. $100 if you can tell me, BJ. I believe it's molar. Yes, molar. Right, Jack. Yeah. For 300 to zero, we'll find out who wins the game.
You are listening to a special release extra from Edict Zero FIS, the science fiction audio drama series. From NGN Studios out of New Hollywood, West Island, comes the greatest sensation to ever spring from Vaudeville City. And the next big attraction to sweep the island this summer from anachronicity to Naree. Featuring together for the first time since 2409, The Wests in Trips for Biscuits. Starring Franco West, Wiley West, Rummo, and the incomparable Gabo West with their sister Maggie. Also starring Clarissa Gaines, Thelma Morley. Smitty Zay, Margaret Herschel, Cody DeMar, Leonard Holker, Tony Thorndike, and Gregory Ferrant. Directed by Warren Scott Ridley. Brought to you in Magic Monochrome for your anachronistic viewing pleasure. Have you seen Mr. Monk? Monk? Yes, that's right, Gabo Monk. The hoodlum with the stinky cigar. Mr. Monk is on the balcony. Thank you. If I were president of the Five Islands, I would create a futuristic society with a firm policy of anachronism. I would upsize and then downsize the upside. I would mind my potatoes as long as what's yours is mine, and I would know my onions before I added them to my tuna fish. Mostly, I would just smoke cigars. I love me my cigars, but I'm bad for their health. Yeah, it's just one more abusive relationship in my life. You hold it right there, mister. Well, how do you know that I can't hold it there because I'm holding it here? At least I think I am. I'm not even sure that I know what it is. But I'll have you know that if I were holding it there, I'd be you and I'd be a monkey's uncle. And not the favorite uncle either. You hold it there and I'll hold it here. Thank you very much. This is where I'm supposed to be. Smoking fine cigars with fine friends. Well, smoking fine cigars anyway. It's a matter of physics, see? If I disrupted that, I might get sucked into a parallel universe where I have to sleep with my wife instead of yours. Second thought, it's horrific either way. Well, I never. I never either. It's bad for you. Saying never, it's best to keep your options open. I want to have a private word, Mr. Monk. If you want to have a private word, then you'll leave me out of it. If you meant to say that you want to have a word with me, I get a better idea. Have a word without me. As a matter of fact, have as many words as you want. There's a million of them. They're cheap, but with a homely mind like yours, probably not easy. Put a bag over it and you might get lucky. Did you see the signs which say no smoking? Yeah, I certainly did, and I'm sure whoever put them up was as outraged at the horrible reality it exposes. I want to thank him for drawing attention to this tragedy, and I was glad to help. No, really, it was the least I could do. Now that the terrible situation has been corrected, you can put happier words on those signs, like free drinks. Do not force me to remove you from the premises. Listen here. In there, you got premises. Out here, on the balcony, you got yours unduly, who removed the premises from your premises before you thought to have them about the premises. In short, I'm holding it here. Like you told me, on the balcony. Where there's no premises, there's no signs, but there's one flat tire, and that's you, buddy. Pump it with cooler air next time. I believe that I speak for these good patrons, who are too polite to point out your lack of courtesy. Do you think they want this? They came out here to enjoy our splendid balcony and the view. Now they smell like your stinky cigars. 
You wouldn't approve of that, I see, but have no fear. It's all in your head. You're completely delusional. What you've said is an impossibility. They couldn't possibly smell like cigars, because cigars can't smell a thing. If you got cigars with honkers sniffing at the air, you're on some good drugs that you need to share with the rest of us. Oh, you wait right there, mister. I'm going to get the manager. You hear that, sweetheart? You're in big trouble now. What? Yeah, don't look so mortified. It doesn't match the little dress. Yeah, you're as cute as a bug's ear. If you didn't know better, I'd say you look strikingly innocent. Scratch that. It's entirely too innocent. Yeah, it must be genuine. But spend a little time with Papa Gabo, and we'll work on that. Yeah, you know, you'd be the cat's meow if it didn't have your tongue. And what does that mean? It means I want you to know that I love me very much, but between you and me, anything more than a nookie run would never work out. Never mind the latter, let's entertain the former. Why are you showing me your hand? Slap me if you want, but only if you do it like I mean it. It's an engagement ring. An engagement ring? This is so sudden. Let me think about it. Okay, I accept. But before we get married, we should consummate the union. I'll show you how to make some fantastic whoopee. It's an old family recipe. On second thought, forget I said that. The disgusting implications of the statement made me lose my appetite. This is an outrage. I'm going to get the manager. For more information on Edict Zero FIS, visit its home at edictzero.wordpress.com or the Slipgate 9 Entertainment Production Blog at slipgate9.wordpress.com.
Uh, Christian uh, Botorf, good luck. Make 2022 the greatest year. I agree. I say good luck to all of you. We can't wait to see you out there. If we can make it through the rest of this year, right, Paige? I don't think there's much longer. We've got just a couple minutes left. But... A couple minutes left. I think we can make it. Thank you, Christian. And uh, Adam Baldwin wants uh, dibs on the Starship there, Paige. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam.